travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 63, The Hunt and Sacred Tattoos of Thailand with Joe Cummings. Our guest today is a travel writing legend. Joe has been living and working in Southeast Asia for decades. He's authored scores of travel books and a host of specialty focus books on everything from Buddhist stupas in Asia to traditional Thai tattoos. He's perhaps best known for being the original Lonely Planet Thailand guidebook writer, is an accomplished guitar player, and all-around nice guy. If you're looking for someone who knows a ton about Southeast Asia, Joe is definitely your man. This is Scott Coates in Bangkok, and sitting across from me is... Hey, Trevor Ranges here. How's it hey, going? It's good. Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't seem to get to do too many of these in the same room, so here we are. Yeah, well, uh, it's a new season, new year. Hopefully, uh, we'll be sitting down uh, quite often together. Yeah, and our guest is actually going to be in the same room with us, too, so it's kind of yeah. cool we're not relying on the internets for this one at all to record. No, yeah, it's good to have uh, all of us in one room together. Uh uh, you've known Joe for quite a while. I've yeah. known of Joe and then known him through the social scene for quite a while. Sure. Uh, but I think this is the first time the three of us have even really sat down together. I think I actually, I don't think I've seen him in like a year. I mean, this is a guy that's in high demand and uh, he is a man about town. But he's been kind enough to chat to us about a new guidebook of sorts called The Hunt. And, you know, it got us thinking to our first guidebooks. And I remember my first guidebook I ever used was way back, I was 20 years old, starting a one-year trip, and I bought the Lonely Planet Japan, and also Southeast Asia and Australia, because I was doing a one-year trip as a backpacker. And I mean, I lugged those big, heavy books around for, you know, a year. I probably ditched mm. Japan. I bought it just for Tokyo, but man, I had that Southeast Asia book and the Australia book for a year. And I mean, that was literally like my Bible. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm kind of on the other side of the fence. And I guess I've always done things a bit differently. Uh, I did have a guidebook. The first time I went to Bali in 1996, I got the rough guide to Bali. Okay. Uh, and I still have that book. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'd never heard of the Lonely Planet. I didn't really know what travel guides were. Um, which kind of might explain why when I first came to Bangkok, I had no idea there was like red light districts. I didn't know what Kaosan Road was and stuff. Really? Yeah. So when I explored, uh, whenever I came across guidebooks, I'd basically just rip the map pages out and I'd bring the maps with me. Uh, <laughs> okay. but, I, but I preferred just to get my information from word of mouth and, uh, and by exploration. And it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. If you didn't have a printed map of the place you were going, like how did you do it? And now, of course... Anytime I go somewhere, I just, when I have Wi-Fi, I get open a Google map and then walking with your mobile phone, even without a SIM, it now shows you where you are on the map and you don't really need that paper map anymore. Yeah, that Google Maps is my new guidebook. It is. And you know, despite being like a real travel guidebook fan and having bought a ton of them, I can't really think of the last time I bought a travel guidebook. It might have been like 
nine years ago for Nepal or something, but it has been a long time. Yeah, it's it's been uh, rough years for the the print guidebook uh, these yeah. days, especially just because there's so much information mm. available online. That said, you know, we did an episode number 42 that was about travel guides, online resources, right, and mobile right. apps. There'll be a link to that on the show notes. Um, but we discussed before how no one's really come up with the with the replacement in one mobile app or on one travel guide site yet. Yeah, it's weird. I bought a Lonely Planet, actually, now that I think of it, for Tokyo or Beijing or something with a study group, APLP, years yeah. ago. And it just doesn't work because somehow with like a travel guide, you want to flip from maybe a history to then about a town to then look at a paper map with a restaurant. And in the digital format, like in PDF on the iPad, or it just didn't work. It doesn't work to flip back and forth through things. You can't turn the corners of the pages. I just, I don't know. I, I'm kind of amazed... It seems none of the big publishers have figured it out. No, yeah, and then what existing resources you have. I think, again, just Google. You want to learn the history of something. Or, or books, I think, are great still. Like You can great, get some great history books or cultural books. And, and that's one of the things that Joe continues to do as well. Um, so I think uh, it'll be interesting to talk about his new book and, and what his experience has been like in the modern era. We've enjoyed our guest books for many years, from my first Thailand Lonely Planet book to Lana Renaissance and a favorite Buddhist stupas of Asia. His writing and scope of knowledge are truly impressive. Let's get right into it and bring on the man himself. Joe Cummings is here with us in Bangkok. Thanks for uh, joining us, Joe. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cool. Well, we've got a bourbon. Yeah. It was a little early in the day, but we had a nice bottle. Yeah, full disclosure. So really, before we get into the new book, if you don't mind, just for people listening that don't know, how did you even end up over in this part of the world? Why and when? Yeah. I, I first came in 1977 to study Buddhism. That was like my intent. I mean, I, I did other things. I, I, you know, I took a job. I mean, I used as my vehicle to get here the Peace Corps. Peace Corps. Peace Corps. And um, I only stayed in the Peace Corps a year. I dropped out after a year, but stayed on. And uh, I was studying Buddhism pretty seriously for a while with uh, at Wat Bawon, Wat Bawon Iwet, with and the, the meditation teacher that I was seeing all the time turned out to be the Supreme Patriarch, which I didn't know mm. at the time. <laughs> so yeah, some pretty nice teachings. There. And then there was a really another really good Dharma teacher I, I was studying with. There was a lay person who's still alive, living in Tonbury. And uh, but that was that's what brought me here. And then I got to sidetracked by everything else, mm. by all just the cool stuff and. Southeast Asia and Thai culture and Thai language and and I kind of resumed my abandoned musical career and so that you know in other words I became a very bad Buddhist quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but you studied the Asian art history or something in Berkeley? Yep, I got a master's in art history and uh, it was supposed to be art history and Buddhism. Was, I needed to have two concentrations of Southeast Asian civilization, but I didn't have enough credits towards the end for the Buddhism side, so I ended up it was Thai language. It was Thai language and art history. I had an excessive number of credits in, uh, in Thailand. So you used that Thai language stuff to get the Peace Corps gig in Thailand? Oh, it was the other way around. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. After the Peace Corps, I came back to the States and did the, the Masters at, at Berkeley and got a full scholarship, full fellowship for uh, for my Thai abilities. Nice. They call it a foreign language and area studies. Yeah. Fellowship, I paid all tuition, books, my housing, my, even my air ticket to Berkeley from the East Coast. And, well, that's yeah. not common at Berkeley. <laughs> not nowadays. No, this is a great hell of a show. I don't think it's still around. It's like congressional money. Full yeah. right. Without playing sports. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. So then, after you graduated, do you just naturally want to come back to Thailand? Yes. 
I came back from my field studies. From my, you know, I was on the that time Berkeley was on the quarter system. So my last quarter of my second year, I came back and did field studies here, mm -hmm. and it was focused on the view of Buddhism in the Thai Communist movement. Thai Communist Movement's perspective on Buddhism. How, how would Buddhism be affected if they got what they wanted, which was the, you know, to, yeah, to take over That actually sounds Thailand. quite interesting. It was. I was listening to all these secret broadcasts, PLAT broadcasts and translating. It was really good for my Thai. And I went and interviewed people, and I was spending time in the South. I met Ajahn Buddhadasa because he was a very controversial figure then. Now he's like, you know, he's like been co-opted by the establishment of mm. Buddhadasa. By the time mm. he was considered such a renegade because he would preach equally to you know, the military forces, the right-wing military, and the, um, and the communist forces, because he was deep in the south, in Sarate, in a small rural area. And uh, because of that, he was right at a communist place, the royalists here in Bangkok and everything. So he was a real instrumental in my, my, my final paper on that. Well, so how did you go from something so intellectual to yeah. travel writing? You know, it was the, I was in that while I was doing the field studies, maybe even before, oh yeah, it was even before. I knew I was, I was getting ready to do the field studies. I, and uh, when I left the Peace Corps to come back to the States, I bought two Lonely Planet books on my way back because I'd spent some other time in Asia. I bought the Sri Lanka and the Burma. Those were the only country guys they had. Huh, Sri Lanka and Burma. They had only two. Yeah, I know. Huh. And, uh, and they had Southeast Asia Shoestring. It was their third book, and that was hmm. it. And Southeast Asia shoestring had been preceded by a cross Asia and a cheap, but after the Iran hostage crisis, that was cut that route. So then they switched to Southeast Asia shoestring, and it was doing really well. But I really liked those two books, and I um, I wrote a letter to Tony Wheeler and said you should do Thailand because I had all these statistics. Because I was also looking at I also did a paper on it was the communist view of tourism, mm -hmm. how will tourism be affected? Communist view of tourism. Yeah, which actually, you know, that, that, that really came to fruition for me when I went to Laos when they first reopened after the takeover, mm -hmm. took over in 79, uh, 75, and I went back in 89, and I was entertained by the director of tourism, who was a staunch, you know, card-carrying communist, and he huh. gave me the full communist perspective on tourism, which I kind of already knew, because they, they, the Thais were, communists were adopting the Lao Mm. Party line because they yeah. uh, you know, put that lower behind it and then behind it put that lower the Chinese. So. But um, so I already had all these tourism statistics, and so I, I, I have told Tony when I said, Listen, Thailand has more tourists now, this was 1980 when I wrote to him, than Sri Lanka and uh, Burma combined. So, yeah. you know, why don't you do a book to Thailand? And he said, Yep, he sent me $10,000. Really? Yeah. So that's what happened. So while I was doing my field studies, or intermingled with my field studies, for my last quarter at Berkeley, I was researching the first Lonely Planet. Okay. That was multitasking. So, yeah, I mean, what were those early years like? Like, Trevor and I recorded the intro before you turned up. Yeah. It's just recalling, like, all the years I would always buy a Lonely Planet book wherever I went and how times are kind of changing a bit. Yeah. But what was it like writing those books way back when? It was, um, what was cool about it was that uh, not much had been written about Thailand. I mean, I've said this many or it's been in print. That between 1928 and 1982, when the Lonely Planet came out, there were no English language guidebooks in mm. Thailand, believe it or not. Now there's hundreds. Really? Yeah, 1928, Eric Seidenfeld. There was a French one and a, and a German one. I think I've seen yeah. the English one. They talk about the Mandarin Oriental Hotel, and there's yeah. ads in this book about yeah. lights and how to get from the port to the yeah, hotel. Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Eric Seidenfeld, 1928. Yeah. He did two. He did one guide to Bangkok and one to Siam. They're almost the same. Yeah. And uh, so it meant that 
everything was new. You know, everything I was writing about was new. I was writing about stuff that hadn't been written about in English anyway. And even I, I was using the, I can read French pretty well, so I was using this French guy, it was called Discovering Thailand, and the English title would have been Discovering Thailand. And it was written, written by an ex ambassador, French ambassador. So it was kind of like, you know, here, take, tell your car and drive, tell the driver to go to here. It was like oh, real high end. It was, okay. it was a Lonely yeah. Planet style. And, but still, there was some really good stuff, especially with Khmer ruins in the Northeast. So I, I like, mm. I got some info from that. But mostly I would just, you know, just drop off in the middle of nowhere and they go to a night market and get a little bit wasted with the locals like ask late them. at night and ask them like, what do you, what's there to see around here? And then, oh, there's a great waterfall out of town. Mm. I'll take you on my motorcycle tomorrow morning. <laughs> so yeah. it was great. And I, I never knew where I was going next. I was just bouncing from place to place. I had plenty of time to do it. I was on the, what they call, you know, Rotdang, just those orange yeah, yeah. buses. They didn't even have aircraft buses back then. Yeah. And uh, so it was, you know, it was kind of carefree and poverty driven. It was fun. So fast forward to, yeah. to today, yeah. where theoretically you could take someone from Nebraska and put them in front of a computer and say, write a guidebook to Thailand because all the information's available there. Exactly. How was the experience different this time around doing the, the hunt book? Yeah, well, it was, I mean, I had a special brief for this book. Maybe I should talk about the book a little bit, how it's different from other guidebooks, yeah. um, in particular, maybe Lonely Planet. Every single business, my only restriction coming from Hunt Guy was that every single business or service or product, whatever, had to be independent. That meant not only could that be like a multinational chain, but it couldn't even be a local chain. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I did was, I, luckily, I, 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 a lot of places I've been writing about for Bangkok 101 or anybody travel leisure before that lonely plan. So, I, I you know I still for myself I still went back and visited every single place. I, I put in about a hundred. Uh, there's like hundred POIs or venues. In it. I, I went to every one of them. You know I, I just because this one the, the, their standard for the writing was really high. They really wanted like you know almost literary or let's say magazine yes. style writing, and uh, and they wanted lots of personal opinion. Huh. You know, it was, it was like the opposite of my last few years with Lonely Planet, where they were saying like, you know, take out the opinion. We just want those facts. You know, we don't care how you feel about it. And these these Hunt wanted me to actually. They were saying more opinion. You know, I was getting, in the early stages. I was sending them text, and they were like, "Yeah, this is great, Joe, but you know, you know, more opinion about it. like, for example, at this bar that you you're writing about, what's your favorite? What do you order when you go there? So yeah, and then well, I just started throwing stuff like that's that. interesting that you should say that because yeah. we did a, a episode about travel guides a while back and how you know you have like TripAdvisor and all these websites online, but you don't necessarily know who these people are. Right. And, and one of the benefits I believe that guidebooks give you is that you have a professional travel writer yep. who's giving their personal insights. So I think that that's a good feature of the hunt that they actually ask for more of your. It really opinion is because that's the trend has been not to it. The yeah. trend is you know, guidebooks are starting to seem more and more similar. At least like for Lonely Planet, really stood out, and and sort of rough and, and brat and a few others. And, but now they just and you can also you can tell they're just all reading. It's like an echo chamber. You know, it's like oh okay, rough guy has this town, so we better put this town in here. Why is this town in here? Rough guy doesn't have it. I, actually, what an editor said to me in my, mm -hmm. one of my last years, I was like. Mm -hmm. Who cares what rough guy? <laughs> yeah. So I looked on the site, and I mean, yeah. it's just shy of thirty cities that they've got the hunt yeah. for. I mean, they decided to do Bangkok. So you mentioned the thing that makes this different is you mentioned the size to us, but it's also what all independent places. All independent. Like, who's it? Who's it aimed at? Photography. It's like uh, you know, it's like there's like half page of photo, almost every page, mm -hmm. uh -huh. and a couple of full pages. And uh, I got Megan Rogers to do the photography. She did a great job. Okay. So it's an attractive. It's very attractive. It's, it's, you know, 
speaking for the other guys in the series, they're well written. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, this one's okay. And uh, and they're a little bit quirky because of this independent angle. So yeah. everything in there is a little bit off the beat track. You know, I mean, there are a few really famous places, but. Yeah, no, I, from the screenshots yeah. we were able to see online, yeah. we picked a lot of places that we as expats know yeah. about, yeah. but maybe tourists wouldn't necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that it's curated. Again, like on the internet, yeah. you have like this unlimited amount of options, but, right. but here it's curated. Right. And then Scott mentioned the size, but we actually talked about that offline. Yeah. yeah. So it, it is a little bit smaller than like your normal guidebook. Yeah, it's you like pocket your back, size. Yeah. In your back pocket, yeah. And so how many pages is that? And who's it for? Is it for visitors or is it for locals or both? It's or? for both. I, I'm for sure expat residents, you know, if, you won't know every place in the guide. Yeah. Think, yeah. And it's drinking, shopping, like what's it's, in Yeah, this was, that's interesting. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, yes, yeah, eating, drinking, shopping. Okay. Eight, only eight hotels. They only wanted eight hotels that so had to be really handpicked. Uh, so it again, is where to stay. And totally independent. Huh. And they wanted it more towards... The higher end, but but they didn't. I, they said you can put throw a couple budget ones, so I did. So it's like two or three budget. If they have like charm, and yeah, like I'm curious to see what your list is now. You know, non lead manicon, like for example, is in there. And uh, what else is in there? Yeah, a few, a handful of museums. They didn't want too many museums. Hmm. It's kind well, of it's like a Lux hipster guy okay. sort of. Lux hipster guys, yeah. You have to grow a beard before you can read it? <laughs> no, I probably should have. <laughs> so I know for, I mean, you got out of the guide book writing game and you did books like Lana Renaissance and mm -hmm. I'm going to say it wrong, but Sakyant, the Thai tattoos, yeah. which we'll get to. So what led you to get back into, say, the well, guide book sound like game? an interesting one. And they approached me and they said, you know, this very nice editor, young um, editor, contacted him and I, you know, okay. I wanted, I just was, I was flattered and I thought, and I liked the concept and it looked like I would enjoy doing it. In fact, I did have some uh, flashbacks to the negative side of it too. I forgot how much work. <laughs> really tedious, you know, many, yeah. many long hours all night. Yeah. It's just a lot of text. And notes on napkins from places? Or? Yeah, yeah, mostly recorded. I mostly okay. record, but yeah, oh, cool. notes. And, uh, and I took the, I had to take the, the photographer, I give her a shot list, and she lives here. Do you know her, Megan Rogers? She's, I don't think I know her now. 29, 30 year old American and she um, even though she's out all the time working for publications like Coconuts and people like that yeah um, she couldn't find some of my other places I mm. think <laughs> not on Google Maps and stuff so I had to I actually had to go on photo shoots with her okay quite a bit so that added to the workload in a way hopefully that's in the maps in the book so your readers yeah they are <laughs> things mapped out they're really cute maps they're like hand drawn again it's almost like early Lone the Planet yeah Again, because the very first couple of Lonely Planet guides I did, all the maps were hand-drawn. Really? And later they started doing computer programs. Yeah, otherwise the hunt takes on a whole new meaning. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. you can find it, you yeah. can experience it. <laughs> exactly. Huh. So did you, are these all places that you came up with, or did you ask your friends and stuff? Or I came up with all of them. I mean, some of them, maybe two-thirds of them I was already aware of. Yeah. And then I realized I wanted to find some places that would be new for me and new for as many people. Mm -hmm. So maybe a third of places that I, maybe I did ask some people. Yeah, maybe. Over a couple I'm, cocktails. Yeah, there were probably some tips. Did you leave anything people. out because you didn't want people to know about it? Because it's kind of your head. I don't out. think so. I used to do that Lonely Planet. I don't think I did that. I figured Bangkok, you know. I mean, maybe I left out Jack's Bar. I think I did. I did. I, thought I just fun. heard learned about that place very recently. Yeah, it's a fun place. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So, I mean, what can people expect? I mean, someone's never been to Bangkok. They pick up the hunt. What's it gonna? What's it gonna do for them? It's like well, forty-eight well, hours. Your entire well, that's one of the nice things. The very first layout is it's a fold-out. 
is this 48 hours. So I've got four days. That's like, you know, follow that. You're going to have a good time. You're going to never even use the rest of the book. So I think that's what they'll get out of it. They'll get a nice four days in Bangkok. And then if they stay long, then you know, there's all kinds of other stuff. Mm -hmm. Or if they want to make their choices themselves. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's not like that groundbreaking, but you know, I think it's got a different style. It's a different style for sure. And, and, and the selection is very personal and hopefully, you know, it comes from someone who knows the city pretty well. You've been here, what, like 30 years? Getting close, right? 30, 77? Well, if you get 77, that's 40 years, bro. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, over 40 years. Yeah. I mean, that's not too good. That's right. 40 years. But I mean, I've only lived outside of Thailand a few years here and there, but mm. not too much. So it's not a consecutive 40 years. And if there's things in there that were kind of new for you, <laughs> they're yeah. definitely new for you yeah. know people. Yeah. You know, not... That's the thing about Bangkok. There's always something new. Well, that's what we were talking about earlier, too, about yeah. with the guidebooks. Like, yeah. like, you had to probably try and find places that you knew were still going to be around in two years if they're going to update it. I had one everything. place closed since it was printed already. Wow, yeah. I got in. I think things do change really quickly yeah, and unexpectedly do. and yeah. uh, you never know. And that's the good thing about internet sourcing, you know, is that it tends to be more up-to-date. Yeah. But so again, you don't, can't always trust the source. Do you think uh, printed travel guides are going to last much longer? Seems like they're doing well. I know when I was in Australia a few weeks ago for the World's 50 Best Restaurant Awards, mm -hmm. I visited the Lonely Planet offices, the latest, latest ones in Melbourne. It's like the fifth location they've had. And I got a nice tour. You know, they knew I was coming. Tony Wheeler set it up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kind of posed that question. And of course, you're going to get sort of a PR <laughs> yeah. size answer. But yeah. I, I was hanging out with someone that was I thought was pretty candid. And she was saying, you know, actually, it's doing pretty well. It's not quite quite what it once was, but mm. you know, they're always surprised how the the man just is there, and they and they keep expanding their series, and that seems to be you know do well. They're doing a lot of non-travel oriented books now too for like children, yeah. mm. really branched out. So um, I don't know. I think there's. I think what I tell people that are contemplating doing a book, but not necessarily a guidebook. But just books in general, because I think, yeah, I think you could argue that prints in decline, right? No, I heard actually last year. When sales yeah. Went up. Oh yeah, yeah, I think I heard that too. It's kind of like vinyl, <laughs> right? Vinyl exceeded <laughs> CDs, and now yeah. books are coming back. Yeah. Well, but in both cases, it's a premium product now. So mass market is digital is mass market, print is premium. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I tell people that want to do a book, like, and they say, you know, they're asking me to write it or produce it or something like that, and I say, well, you, you got to be sure what your market is. I mean. If you're going to do a book, you want to do a nice book, you know, because just a cheap, badly printed book is not going to sell. Yeah. You know? no, I, my, my opinion is just that for, for myself as a traveler um, who just prefers a map and exploration, mm -hmm. But the book I'm going to bring is, is like a history book or some book on the, the right. culture, which so right. I think that's cool. And we're going to segue here into the Sacred Tattoos of Thailand yeah. book. But that's the kind of book that I would rather bring with me. You know, someone's yeah. going to go to Hawaii, read Michener, and, and right. have Google Maps, you know? Yeah. And, Maps is the most important thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people back in the day, but they still buy Lonely Planet for the maps because they have really good they maps. They were good maps, yeah. Yeah, really Probably good maps, yeah. Yeah, I was telling Trevor, it's not that long ago. I can remember, like, literally... You know, as people did, following the map in, yeah, in the book, yeah, and now yeah. you're kind of using your phone. But yeah, now you got GPS and Google Maps are so good. But I miss the history. Yeah. Those books all had really yeah, comprehensive yeah, history yeah. and yes, stuff. Yes. So, I mean, it was now we're probably going back like to segue into tattoos like six, seven years ago now, that tattoo book, Sacred I think so, yeah. Tattoos of Thailand. Like, how did yeah. that even come about? What led to your interest? That was, in that? That was uh, well, I've always been interested in, but I mean, just as a as anyone would be, as you guys probably are too, when you just see someone with, with them, you know, you go, you know, 
they're neat. They look cool, yeah. right? They look kind of cool. And they look mysterious. And so I always had a curiosity, I had an appreciation and a curiosity that goes back to the late 70s. I remember taking a trip with a Thai friend and he went to visit some relatives in Isan. He was from Tongla, but he had Isan relatives. And we stayed at this place on the outskirts of Budan. And uh, one of somebody, part of the extended family was this kickboxer, a young kickboxer. I mean, we came in after working out, he took off his shirt, there was this leaping tiger on his chest. Mm -hmm. I was just like, wow. Huh. And I was like, that's beautiful. I reached out to touch it, and he went like, don't touch yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And, and he didn't understand the part about it being beautiful either. Like, huh. beautiful. But, um, but I never did anything about that until Marshall Cavendish, the publisher for that book, I'd done a few other books for them, and they said, we'd like another book. Is there a subject you'd like to write about? And I said, yeah, because I thought, this is this way I'll learn. You know, I'll find out what these things are about. Mm -hmm. So that's how it happened. And what was that? It came out like um, six, seven years ago now? I'm what? thinking it came out in 2012 or 2011 even. Okay. Not, yeah. I don't really remember. Um, yeah, because Dan White died, you know, the photographer died. Oh, really? Yeah, he died like, uh, okay. I think it's been three or four years already, 47. Uh -huh. yeah. But that one's not quite pocket size or travel size. That's right. more That's of a like coffee, coffee table. table, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on a second edition now, so. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's a long updates. time coming. It should, you know, I'd like to have done it like last year or the year before, but the publisher's been kind of slow. With what that. happened in between? Were you doing some more research? You discovered yeah, some I found some new masters that I want to add. Uh, three masters are in there have died, so that needs to be revised. And I, I know a little bit more about it. It isn't so much that part of it. I won't, the basic theory, you know, explaining the system, which I think is the main value of the book, because mm. um, no other book does. No, there's no other source in, lang in Thai or in uh, English that really gets into mm. how the shit works or how it's supposed to work. Yeah. yeah. And how, and then even more than that, how I think it works. Yeah. Um, so that I won't change much. It's, it's mainly just a few arcade details, new masters. And updating the old masters and, and Cambodia like I'm going to go back to Cambodia because I didn't find a single master there before but now there's like six guys and they're like the young Turks and Sam Rip that are doing yeah and but they don't have a lineage and they have no master taught them their self yeah. so I'm not yeah because I remember your yeah. book was coming out when I was yeah. in Cambodia for yeah. National Geographic and right. I met some people the, I think it was the guy who the Bokota you know the Cambodian martial arts fighter I think he was yeah. the guy who was yeah. a connection into that yeah, yeah. but but the, the history is so fascinating. It is. It is. And then Thais have this misconception that there's more magic going on in Cambodia, right? And, you know, you hear that, right? Thais always say, oh, man, they're really powerful magic. Mm. And I tell them, what? There's almost no magic left in Cambodia. Mm. You, meet a, you meet a guy once in a while. But they mostly left. Yeah. They left after they the were Khmer Rouge killed. or they were killed. Yeah. They would definitely have been killed at... You know, but like the ancient records, they used to uh, they used to like sew metal into the like there was metal integrated into the tattoo yeah, that was really? yeah even now and people really? do that they call it uh, they call it fun to grow. yeah they put they bury it under the skin metal under the skin yeah wow so what are some of the more interesting aspects about traditional Thai tattoos that you've learned during the process of this I'd say if I had to like boil it down to one thing it's that. People, that, for the people that are in the system, it's not the tattoo, it's not the design itself so much that's magic. And it's just a portal, it's a matrix that is created so that the master then can plant this medical physical substance that they call Wicha, which is people that translate it. It really comes from like knowledge, the Sanskrit root for knowledge, but it comes to be magic. 
and it's a transfer from the master to the disciple. Huh. And that's just a way to get it in. It's like all the, you, you make the matrix and then you f do all these other incantations and rituals and everything so that it's transferred right through and into the body of the other person. And, and it's kept in place and, by the moral code. So it means nothing if you're not a good person, that they have no power, the magic is gone. Huh. Yeah, some of the rules are pretty obscure too. Like yeah. you're not allowed to have sex with a woman on top of you, or you have a top. I, it's, <laughs> I think it depends on the master. Right? It probably depends yeah. on the master. Yeah, no vaginal secretions on, <laughs> on your tats. Yeah, yeah. be careful then. Yeah. Cool. So when does the second edition? When might it come out? I don't know. I think. I think. I mean, November. This November would be great. And okay. in which case, I have to put, get the manuscript yeah. by August. Okay. And the first yeah, one's obviously done well. It, it, it's done very well, but the sales are tapering off a lot, so that's why they've got to get the second edition out. It's down. Yeah. It's really trickled down, but yeah, it's really, it one of the strongest coffee table books I've ever done. Oh, really? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's been doing really, really well. And the photography's beautiful. Yeah. It? Yep. It's really, really yep. nice. Yep. Well, that's it. I get up, I'm updating his photography now with using some other photographers. Yeah. It says, damn, why is it gone? And so, uh, I think I know the answer is, but did you get a Thai tattoo? Well, I have three. I have right. one on each arm here, both from Ajahn Gop and Ayutthaya. Yeah. And then one on my back from Ajahn Neng, who's my favorite master. Okay. He's here in Bangkok. And that was after you wrote the book? Or? Yeah. Okay. I waited until after. So you made sure you knew your stuff before you got Yeah, I kind of, kind of, to like, pick yeah. the right guy. Like, and I actually was thinking about not getting one at all, because one reason I didn't want to do it while I was doing it was always, you know, stay objective, so-called so objective. And then I was thinking, well, maybe I don't need to do it at all, really. Um, but then so many ties were saying to me, wow, I mean, I can't believe you did that. You went, like, hanging, you're hang, hanging out with all these people in the black mat. You know, aren't you afraid that, like, you know, you get <sighs> some weird shits, like, attached to you in there? Yeah, yeah. You know, they're going to be in, have some bad juju somehow. And more <laughs> people asked me that. Then I went to my favorite master, and well, the one in Ayutthaya who did these, and I said, I said that. I said, you know, maybe I need some kind of closure, something to protect me from... Uh, any bad yeah. shit I came in contact with. Yeah. He said, a very wise guy, he was like, well, I don't really think you probably came in contact with anything bad. And since you're basically a good person, the bad's going to just flow off you anyway. But he says, I remember when you first started coming around and asking questions, you didn't really understand the protocol. And you may have offended some people. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, so I I'm suggesting you get a tattoo for forgiveness. Hmm. So that's what this one is, Meta Mahaniyam. Okay. Yeah. And the one on the other end? This one's, is another way to call this is also universal love. It's supposed to bring back, you know, metta, universal love from other people. And, they, and there's the actual name for it is Kumpan Chomdalat. And you know who Kumpan is? Like the Casanova mm. of Thai literature. Okay. So it has a side benefit, supposedly, of attracting <laughs> lovers. But, but I didn't know that when I got it. I, I, when he told me the name afterwards, I said, what, what does that mean? Kumpan admiring the market. Mm. And he said, well, it's like, you know, Kumpan is like going through the world. Hmm. Checking out the scene. Yeah. I was like, okay. So it's, for, it's for, for forgiveness, though, right? Yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, for sure. People are going to forgive you. But I think the approach that you went about to get them yeah. is, is the right one. Yes. Because I, I think they, the government might have recently made it illegal to get them for foreigners because people get them for just aesthetic purposes. That's, or, that's yeah. so true. Yeah. yeah. And the good masters, you know, don't don't let you choose yeah. your own thing. They they give you a prescription like this guy. Yeah. Hmm. And then this one's the same guy. And I, I got it's wisdom. It's the hermit's walking stick because the Rusi, the hermit is sort of like the progenitor of the entire tradition, mythologically speaking. Hmm. You know, some guy with tiger skin is back in the yeah. a cave in the forest you know, eons ago who started doing the tattoos. Hmm. 
according to the times. So that's his walking stick, and it's like you move forward with wisdom. Yeah. Not when you're so you won't be blinded by all the universal love. Yeah, it's a gorgeous book. So what's uh, next on the slate? I mean, you're working on the update, the tattoos. Anything else going on? I have. Um, I might be doing a second book for Hanantara. I did oh, one wow. for them. Yeah. That came out in 2013. How much is it? I think I did it in 2011, 2012. It came out in 2013. That was uh, what they sent me to eight countries, yeah. all of their resorts. Yeah, they've got I didn't write. Did, did. Wrote about the destinations, not about the resorts. A little bit about the resorts, but mainly yeah. about the destinations. With Luca Tatoni, a magnificent yeah. photographer, who, who fell ill halfway through the project and it was finished by another Italian photographer and um, they, Heineke has asked me to think about doing a second book mm. this time it's eight, 13 countries it's going to take yeah. Uh, yeah it's Oman yeah. you got Portugal now Morocco yeah. Zambia Mozambique I mean it's a kind of a dream in a way although it's going to be very tired third time they want all the travel done in a year so it's like four or five nights at each resort Oof. yeah um, they do all, it's all expenses paid. And focusing on food, the food cultures of all these places. Oh, okay. So it'd be juries with Anantara, colon, stuff. But if you're too busy and you need to refer <laughs> another writer. <laughs> yeah, might, that might happen. In fact, I've already been thinking, you know, once the deal is sealed or right in you know, the last moments of the contract, I was like, by the way, I reserve the right to like send someone in my place now and then. Yeah. <laughs> Offer guidance and uh, well, I mean, it really would help. You imagine, yeah, you know, if sure. I, you know, rather than split up the load. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've asked you this a few times, and I have a copy. You graciously gave me one, but any chance that Buddhist Stupas of Asia is going to get republished again by really LP? They want it to be. It won't be by LP. Yeah. They they really they messed up their marketing on that one. They didn't sell well. Um, it wasn't suitable. I, I'm, I've talked to River Books, Narisa. Yeah. Yeah. And they're they're interested now. You know, they're not like wildly interested, but she said, "Yeah, all right, maybe." And I need to further that discussion because I think it'd be perfect. Man, you gave me a copy like ten years ago or so, yeah. and I still pick it up. And you're my inspiration for going to Borobudur a few yeah. years back. Guys, just kept looking at that book, and I'm like, I got to get there. And yeah. I was living in KL, so I jumped a flight. Yeah. It's just such a beautiful book. It's really nice. Yeah, Borobudur is really cool. Yeah, I tried to go this year. When I was at Jogja, like three days after that concert in Jogja, was the Waisak, Waisak, the biggest Buddhist festival of the year. And I went to Borobudur for that festival maybe six years ago, and it was fantastic. Tried to make it again. Yeah. But, uh, yes, scheduling didn't permit. Cool. So Sacred Tattoos of Thailand, I mean, it's out. You can pick it up yep. online, obviously. Yeah. And The Hunt was just, what, June 1st release date? Like, just Something a few like days that. ago, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's already available. In, it's in bookshelves in the UK and the US. Yeah. And it should be very soon here and uh, hopefully the rest of the world. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So get yeah. a copy. It fits in your pocket so you can just yeah. carry it around. Yeah. We'll have links to the the hunt guides and uh, other Joe-related uh, yeah. websites. We'll have links to those on Personal our show sites. notes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good. Well, thanks for making time for us, Joe. Uh, I really, really me. appreciate yeah. it. Absolutely. Fascinating stuff. Thanks. All right. Hey, yeah, that was great to have Joe on today, huh, Scott? Yeah, he's uh, such an interesting guy, and I mean, he's so knowledgeable on so many things. Like, I've seen him, you know, rock out on guitar with pretty famous artists, and, and you kind of think he's the rocker guy, but then you get him on talking about, you know, something very intricate about, you know, Buddhist mythology, and he can go right down that trail really well, too. He's a fascinating guy. Yeah, after... Uh you know, we cut the interview and we kept talking with him. We we covered all sorts of topics, uh, particularly music, but also, the, you know, the nightlife scene and how things have changed in Bangkok. Yeah. And uh, we could have kept rolling and you'd probably still be listening uh, to, to some pretty interesting conversation. 
Yeah, and he's done so many neat books. I mean, from the Buddhist Stupas of Asia, which is kind of a favorite. We just had a look at that. That's a very nice coffee table book. Yeah, it's great. And the tattoos, of course, which he's hopefully by the end of the year, he's got another version of that out. And, you know, the hunt, I'm, I'm curious. We were actually, when the mic was off, we were saying how he's been here about 40 years and I'm coming up on 18 years. But he mentioned that there's places in the hunt book that he had never been until he wrote the hunt because he's meant to go and it's one of the great things about bangkok it seems no matter how long you live here there is always that restaurant or nook or cranny or there's just somewhere never quite made it to or something new that's been around for a couple of years but sort of slid under the radar but like is hip in the neighborhood where it's at yeah so even though i've lived here a long time i'm going to pick up a copy as soon as it's available and uh Make it a point to go check out a, a few new spots. I'm not so great at that. I know you're always out at news places, but uh, yeah, use it as impetus to travel more. Yeah, so for listeners, uh, you can uh, find the link to the Hunt book and yeah. Joe's other stuff in our show notes. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe we'll add a little uh, special features in there for you about uh, what we discussed off the recording <laughs> device. Uh, yeah. Just to lure people there into the show notes, he showed us some photos that were... uh, Interesting, yes. So uh, thanks for joining us on this episode of Talk Travel Asia. Thanks to Joe for joining us. Super cool to chat with him. And we'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Talk Travel Asia. Yeah, maybe we're talking about packing tips and tricks in two weeks. I I think think that is the one, yeah. Yeah, I think that one sounds pretty interesting. Cool, over and out. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom in Cambodia? 